Aditi let me introduce Aditi Banerjee to you she is an attorney and an MBA with a BA in international relations to boot from Yale Columbia and Tufts that's where her degrees are from she wrote a book in 2019 the curse of gandhari which was very well received as one of the stories to come out from the epics and indian women who write or indic women who write stories about the epics she has also co-edited the book invading the sacred an analysis of hinduism studies in america in collaboration with rajiv malhotra she authors several essays for several platforms let us hear from her so aditi you wanted to speak of the heroic women of the itihas puran tradition we are all agog we want to listen to you Great. Thank you so much, uh, Sumedha Ji, and for, for everyone. I'm really excited about this, this talk and, and this discussion. Uh, so I wanted to talk about women from the Itihas Puranas. So that would be the Ramayan, the Mahabharat, the, the Mahapuranas. And uh, in, in the context of that, the role of, of women and the strong women we find in these texts. And so someone could start by asking, why, why should we care about, about stories? They're just stories, why should we pay attention to this? Um, and there are very important reasons why, why stories matter. Um, so there's this actual, this quote I wanted to read by Lisa Krohn. Uh, she wrote a book uh, looking at brain science and stories and how we're actually wired for a story and what stories do to us. Uh, so what she said is story, as it turns out, was crucial to our evolution, more so than opposable thumbs. Opposable thumbs let us hang on. Story told us what to hang on to. So in other words, from stories, the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, we get our values, we understand human nature, the nature of the world, what are the things that matter to us, who are the characters we admire and revere. And this is especially true when it comes to the epics or to the ancient tales, not just for us as Indix, but also around the world. Um, so we like to resist the use of the term mythology because mythology connotes as something that's false or it's debunked or you have myth busters. But actually, if you look at the original Greek term mythos, it talks about uh, the vernacular tradition. So folk stories, the oral tradition, and these stories contain our sacred traditions, our sacred beliefs. And this is how we preserve the memory and tradition of us as a people. So therefore, our itihas and puranas are very important because they are our cultural and civilizational DNA. And even now, uh, today, if you have people, if you have like even a one minute discussion about the Mahabharata, you'll see it quickly becomes an intense debate and it becomes like an hours long discussion because it's still so important and central to us and to our, to our identity. So therefore, it's a very important source for us to look into. Um, and I think that one thing that is remarkable is if you look at the women in our Itihas and Puranas, they're so, first of all, they're very strong, they're powerful, and they're very nuanced, and they have great depth and complexity as, as individuals. So even just looking at the Mahabharata, you don't have uh, what I call like Mary Sue. So something that you hear about is, oh, like, it's, it's so patriarchal, everyone just has to be like these meek 
uh, weak females. And that's actually not at all what you find. Uh, so you find someone like a, like a Satyavati, uh, who was a, you know, a fisherman's daughter. And then she, um, she has a, a meeting with Parshar uh, Muni, a great Rishi. And in that moment, you can understand as she, she, may f- she could have felt like a powerless woman in the presence of a very powerful, fierce man who wanted to be with her. But she actually has great wit and intelligence. And she says that this meeting should be, this encounter between us should be enjoyable for me. Uh, she wanted the boon that she would have a divine fragrance uh, and that afterward her, her chastity would remain intact. So she's very quick-witted and, and quick-thinking. And so our, our poets and our acharyas realized the positions that women find themselves in, the challenges we face, uh, but then also how to develop the wherewithal, the inner strength, the, the intelligence uh, to not just deal with those challenges, but heroically rise above them. Uh, and to act in the interests of dharma, to protect their families, to protect society, and uh, to, 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 to take us toward, uh, toward righteousness. Um, so that's just one small example. Um, and then in the, in the Puranas and Itihas, there are two con- concepts related, uh, or two frameworks related to, to women that I wanted to bring up. One is the Panchasati and the other is the Panchakanya. So the Panchasati are... Um, are five revered women. So it's Sati, Sita, Savitri, Damayanti, and Arundhati. And uh, each of their stories are just incredible. I don't have the time to go into it, but I'll just mention, for example, Arundhati was an aesthetic of such amazing tapobala and, and wisdom strength that she actually would give discourses to the Saptarishi. That is how much uh, reverence she was held in. So you have that on, on one side, and then you have the Panchakanya, which is very interesting. So they are uh, Ahalya, Tara, Mandodari, Draupadi, and Kunti. Sometimes Sita is included in there, but more traditionally Kunti. And it is said there's a, a Shubhashita about these Panchakanya that one should forever remember them. And in doing so, um, they are the destroyers of, of, of great sin, or remembering them destroys great sin. And so what's very interesting about the Panchakanya is that they have very complicated lives. It's not so black and white. Uh, so they find themselves in, in, in interesting circumstances. So everyone knows the story of Ahalya, for example, who is married to the Rishi uh, Gautama, and they were very much in, in love with each other. Uh, and then Indra came and tried to, tried to trick her. Uh, but she's, uh, so there's a story of that, but she's considered in this category of the Panchakanya. Also, um, Mandodari, uh, who was deeply in love with, with Ravana, and, uh, and after Ravana is defeated, she is married off to um, Bibishana and th- things like that. So these are stories of women who aren't, uh, who find themselves in difficult circumstances or are not conventional circumstances but still they're able to uh, be upholders of dharma and they're revealed, uh, revered for their character. And I think there's a great lesson for us in that, in that we shouldn't be so judgmental, but you should really take into totality all of a, a woman's uh, qualities and what she does in the circumstances she finds herself in. So there's a lot of nuance and, and, and richness uh, there. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention is that uh, a, I actually want to just take an example of someone like 
like Kunti and how much, um, how much sensitivity and nuance uh, Veda Vyasa and our poets had and the people in that time had an understanding uh, the, the female character. So, um, uh, so I, I wrote the story about Gandhari last year and uh, everyone kept saying, oh, you should write about Kunti next. And at first I was like, oh, you know, I, th I think I find her character too boring. And I didn't want to write about her. I wrote two other books, but then I started thinking about her. And then I just put myself through the, through the story of, of Kunti. And it was really amazing on what a fascinating character she is. And there's so much I got from that. So if you just think about her story, when she starts off as a young girl, she's given by her father uh, to his cousin who is childless. And she finds herself in this, in, in this house as, as a young girl. Um, her life is uh, attending to the to, to great rishis and uh, sadhus who come to that palace. And in the course of that, uh, sh she comes across a Durvasa Muni, who's like a very fierce rishi. And she, he is so impressed with her that he gives her this boon uh, that she can call upon any deva and, and he, he will come to her and, and leave her with a child. And out of curiosity, she calls uh, Surya Deva. And if you actually read about it in the Mahabharata, it's kind of this, uh, you understand her impulses, this curiosity she has. But then when Surya Deva comes, she actually becomes very overwhelmed and, and terrified because she actually asks him to, to go back. And he says he cannot, the mantra has been in, invoked, the word of a rishi cannot be contravened. Uh, and in that moment, uh, when she realizes this, she says, okay, but protect my son so he'll be noble and virtuous like you and protect him with, a, with an armor. And if you think about it for a woman, she was only 15 or 16 years old at that time. And she finds herself in this incredible moment. And then you think about, oftentimes we say, oh, Kunti was so heartless. She abandoned her son. She abandoned Karna. But in that moment, before he's even conceived, she's already thinking of how she best can protect him, knowing that she has to, she has to give him up. Uh, and then, of course, you know, she has to uh, give up uh, Karna. And then she chooses to marry Pandu in her um, Swayamvar. They get married and then quickly Pandu falls more in love with his second fight wife, Madri. And think of how she feels then. Uh, then there are years in the forest. And um, I always also thought it's so moving after Pandu dies and she adopts Madri's sons as her own. And again, there, there's this beautiful literary poignancy to that, that she lost her first son, but then she had such a big heart. She was able to take these two sons as her own and she never differentiated between them. And this then in really, all the years- Very, very interesting, uh, Aditi. Uh, I wonder if, uh, you know, uh, there could be a conclusion now because all of us have a rather limited time to speak. Yes, I'll just wrap it up. I'll just wrap it up. Sorry, I just go on and on. But uh, I'll just wrap it up with this. Even in, in the years of exile, we say women didn't have power or whatever. But she does many things that are important. So uh, when they're in exile, she makes sure that the people are taken care of, the common people are taken care of in, in their place where they're in exile. When Draupadi comes, she makes sure that her sons stay united and, and things like that. She makes very important decisions uh, that shape the destiny of her, of her family and, and the outcome of the, of the war. Uh, so what I mean to say is we don't, in our tradition, women have always been strong. They've been intelligent. They've had their internal resources. And they've been, uh, they've had transformative power 
uh, over the course of, uh, of, of events and, and, and war and, and, and things like that. And so from that, there's a lot that we can learn and relate to even in the, in, in, in the, in the modern day. So I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Thank you very much, Aditi. And we'll have another chance to listen to your ideas when we do the panel discussion and that little uh, slot that all of us have to give the modern paradigms to our ancient research. Thank you. And uh, a couple of things that things that you have said will be picked up by other people. Stories, for example. Sohag is going to pick up on stories. And we are definitely going to discuss power and what it flowed from.